deep tech. So this past week, past few days, I've been um, shadowing a conference online focused on what they are calling deep tech. And this was a commercialization conference um, between, I think it looks like about maybe seven or eight universities all sort of coming together and talking about deep tech, which is um, what they would call hard sciences. You know, hard sciences tech. Um, things like, like the new materials, new energy stuff. Uh, typically, these are things that have some patents. Um, and they, you know, they're sort of like, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're working on the new technologies that should go into a phaser gun, right? Because we got to build a phaser. But, you know, this is, you know, this is a quantum phase array um, powered by a decoupleized enzyme cold fusion engine. Now, obviously, this is not going to be something that, you know, just anyone can take out. Um, yeah, the proof of concept on the phaser, by the way, um, if you think about it, you think about all the, all the failures that you went through to make that phaser. Um, it makes me think of um, uh, District 9, which is um, amazing sci-fi movie um so many good scenes in that movie remember the scene where you know that he like he's at that point he's augmented enough in a lot of ways um and i love doing this with movies i love thinking about startup moments in cinema so moments that happen in movies that sort of to me embody a startup moment or a feeling anywhere associated to the spectrum of starting up. And so let's think about it for a second from a District 9 perspective. What's a moment in there? Well, he goes through a transformation process, getting sort of infected with the alien DNA. His arm begins to shift, right, change. His whole body is, right? Uh, but specifically his arm, the forearm he was infected with, I guess. Um... Of course, the military wants to see, um, you know, if you can control these guns they've had for years that none of the humans have been able to leverage these alien weapons. And sure enough, he can. He can, you know, fire the quantum phase array. He can fire the lightning gun. He can fire the uh, the, the vortex, uh, you know, destabilizer. He can fire everything. And, of course, he's appalled because uh, I'm freaking out because they keep... You know, he goes from static targets to eventually they put a, you know, a, uh, an alien up there, you know, and it's twitching and it's afraid and he's forced to, you know, shoot it. And then he's, you know, he's like hates himself and everything. Um, you know, what startup moment is that, you know, if you think about it? <clears throat> oh, I think that could be an interesting. That's to me that moment would be like Jack Dorsey realizing just how powerful Trump was for Twitter. <laughs> like there's a part I know there's a part of Jack Dorsey's soul that absolutely um, regretted making Twitter. I think during at some point during the the um, Trump presidency. I don't th I don't see how you couldn't. I don't see how you couldn't, especially given um, in, in many ways how much Trump sort of helped validate and show the absolute power of what you've made, Jack, right, Twitter. And yet at the same time uh, made you want to like, oh my God, 
like how fast did Jack want to just erase Twitter? And of course he couldn't at that point because the experiment was gone beyond him, right? But I mean, I think that's what that's a, I could see that as being extremely torturous for a creator <clears throat> to build something that you that you see ultimately is good and then see it. See, it's almost, and it's not just, it's not, it's not just that it's bad in the hands of a crazy person, but the fact that there's so many holes in the ecosystem around Twitter, or even, even the very things that Twitter uses itself, like its mechanisms of a like and retweet, they weren't really seen in a light that could, could sort of, well, you know, there's, there was nobody at the focus group when that idea came up that said, well, couldn't a troll use this and with a bunch of bots? generate a perspective that would make it look like that this guy was, you know, whatever this guy or gal was saying about let's go and exterminate, you know, all postal workers, right? Couldn't that be seen as dangerous, right? At the time, we're like, who's going to like something 53,000 times? You know, who's going to retweet something 65,000 times? That's stupid, right? You know what I mean? And, and there was this notion in the beginning, like, no, man, everyone on this network, we're all like, we're all part of each other. We're all part of our consciousness, right? Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I refuse to, to believe any other line that, that, that uh, I refuse to believe that uh, the people on Twitter were just cool with it. <laughs> they had to be. They had to be tortured to watch that. It's just like that guy in that movie, man. You know, because except he wasn't a Trump at that point. He was sort of like, "Holy shit! I, I, yeah, I had this ability. I didn't know I had the ability. I was sick, and then you've used it. You forced me to kill somebody. You know what I mean? It's like, anyways. All right. So back to this deep tech you thing. So what is the deal with deep tech you? So again, hard sciences. This is hard stuff, and you know. Um, so it's university TCO people talking with other TCO people, and they're talking about the mission and objectives of like you know how to take ideas to market and all this stuff. And and there's a lot of like classic like you know they're asking a lot of questions for all the people in the audience that maybe don't think about things in the licensing space, although everyone should. Which is like Barry, what kind of questions do people use for idea validation? You know, it's like, well, what kind of tools were you using to help you do validation? You know, and then I would, there's a part of me that would have like, well, we've been doing a simple protocol of talking to people. I know that's typically shunned by the academics, but we felt that maybe talking to people about our idea could maybe give us some data. You know, it's like, (laughs) I don't know. I I feel so cynical lately. I feel so, um, I feel so, um. I'm out of shape about things. Um, I think it's because I'm getting momentum on these futures I see. And I have a heightened sense of um, accepting, you know, a state of reality that... um, um, Well, actually, I have a heightened sense of either accepting or absolutely refusing, you know, realities that I don't like. And I have to do it because I have to stay at speed. Um... Oh my God. 
Okay, that's a plane. I thought at first the sound that I was hearing was my cat slowly growing in the kitchen, kind of doing that. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> Hazel can do that. And I was like, please don't grow. There's a part of me that's like, I would put her in a room so I didn't have to listen to that low cat growl. I can't do that, you know. In fact, that's when I, I pick her up and I would put her in a little like forced cage and I would like force her to watch like, you know, Wiley Coyote for seven hours. Like, here you go. You know, like, <laughs> chill out. <laughs> I want you to be amazed and addicted to the screen. You know, that's a mean thing to do to a cat. Turn on a bunch of birds and they follow the birds on the TV. Knowing full well that every time they jump up to the flat screen and claw at that cat, it's, it's a TV, you know. And I could see the other cats down on the ground you know, making fun of that crazy tabby. She did it again. She thinks that cat's real. That bird's real. Dude, I've been here for hours just waiting to get a treat. I'm telling you. You know, those things aren't real. You know? <laughs> I always like to play out the scenario in my head. It's funner that way. All right, so anyways, back to deep tech. So they're doing their thing. You know, I'm just sitting and watching these things. And I ask questions, but maybe no one wants to answer my questions because they're either A, they're too hard to answer. Sometimes I'll ask a question even though I already know the answer, just because when people answer that question, it creates a good conversation, and that's a conversation that I want people to have. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but... Um, I really couldn't get them to 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 really think beyond the the script. Um, we'll see. We're gonna I'm gonna engage with some of the uh, the community and you know I had a couple I had about three all uh, these commercialization centers and started conversations and um, I had another really good conversations with a friend in commercialization that went somewhere else. You know, my message is always the same. Like, dude, put me under NDA and let me look at what you got. Free and clear. You know? Uh, because I can have an opinion on where some of this stuff can go. And then I can... Dude, that's dead in the water. Oh, that's something. It's... it's For me, it's uh, it's my exercise. You know what I mean? It's my exercise to just... You know, and I, I absolutely loved it when I finally was able to sort of get them to consider... You know, and it's hard because CCOs are like, I don't know if you can help me. Like they so, they're, they're, I've been there. I've been that in commercialization where you feel utterly defeated. And it's like, unfortunately, it's, it's, um, it's the machine of academia in a lot of ways that um, will take you apart if you don't have the right, I don't know framework or mindset to approach it so but at the same time you know I keep getting that notion I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop <laughs> but I just don't gosh we have to do 30 years of innovation in the next 7 years guys like this is serious stuff like we gotta move we cannot have we just can't keep 
having the same conversation we have every six years or whatever. We just can't. So you can't have the same conversation we have every day. It's just so, you know, Deep Tech U has some it has some seriously hard challenges. Because the average, to me, the average p- uh, proof of concept from software perspective to coming out of university, I'm going to say it right now. You give me any idea, I'll build it for 100 grand or less. Easy. Easily. Any software, copyrighted content idea coming out of that university, yeah, I'll build it for 100 grand or less. And again, it's proof of concept stuff. You're not doing the final say shit of something. So, that, you know, and the other thing that's true about software is that you can have something that can speak to a cohesive narrative in 120 days or less. So the, the kind of lift and acceleration you get from software is, isn't just like, oh, that's nice. It's freaking amazing, man. You know what I mean? And you can stay at the pace of everybody else. That's the key. Software and copyrighted content out of universes can actually stay at the pace of everyone else. The pace. But hard sciences, hard sciences need probably 300 to half a million minimum. They have, um, and what sucks about that half a million dollars that you need for it is that you're getting the half a million because you don't know if what you can do for 100,000 will really give you the results you want. So you really might have to spend three $100,000 tranches to get really close to the true acceleration of what you're doing. So you have to spend another 300 grand. And then that 200 grand is to help you frame it up in some sort of, you know, product or narrative. And even then you're not talking about the salaries of the team or the team composition, which is probably gonna be, you know, you got a primary hustler, right? Um, you got two strong subject matter experts that, you know, you know, what do you do? Uh, my research is in murder hornets. Okay, that's great. And you? I'm in cold fusion. So what are we doing? We're doing a cold fusion delivery system driven by murder hornets. We've given them another option. We could either kill them or we could put them to work into our new cold fusion phaser array. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're making murder hornets work for themselves and try to prove that they actually do have a point in society beyond... Killing people? That's what we're working on. It's very interesting. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, you know, hard sciences is hard sciences, man. It's like serious stuff, dude. It's, it's, it's not cheap. So, of course, I asked these folks, you know, what are you going to do for your POCs? What's your approach on POCs? And, um, and no one had an answer because they really don't know. And the other thing, too, is that universities are really going through a massive, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, revolution, renaissance, uh, attack on all sides. You know, um, there's going to be more pressure for commercialization. There's going to be more pressure to actually do more things with the research that they have. Um, Ohio, uh, the Ohio X crew, uh, so the Ohio X crew is kind of a new group, uh, sending, um, they're sort of, to me, they're sort of in a long line of groups that, uh, have been created in Ohio to do various things. The Venture Ohio group, uh, was created to sort of be probably more loosely, I guess, a lobbying group, uh, for the state to sort of try to get the state to change perspectives and laws around things. Um, 
And then I think I see the Ohio X group as sort of a similar group. Um, it's also maybe, you know, both of these groups champion the narrative of what's happening in the space from a technology perspective, but they also have another, uh, there's probably other agendas in there. I think Ohio X is trying to present it, position itself maybe as more for the state. This is what the state thinking wants to do, and here comes the message from the state, you know. And I don't know if that's the, the, the husted guy kind of saying up on the, you know, up on the hill and saying, Behold, I give you the Central Ohio's 15 smash! And that template falls just like in History of the World Part 1. And he goes, I give you the 15 bam! And the tablet smashes into pieces. Ten commandments! <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> Comedy cracks me up. You know, we have 15 items for a... Oh! Never mind, we have ten important items. Is that break as well? Well, God damn it. Fine. We have five commandments for all of you. You know, so I just think that's kind of a funny perspective. So, yeah, Ohio X is doing its thing. I don't really hear much from Venture Ohio. I think they, I don't know, they're a little quiet right now. Venture Ohio, Venture Ohio usually doesn't make any noise except for the party every year, so... Um, and they didn't have a party last year, so maybe Venture Ohio is in a stage of pause. Who knows? Um, but Ohio X is going to do some things. They're, so they have a meeting coming up at the end of the month here that's going to be on the Tech Policy Summit. So it's like, where are the tech policies in the state of Ohio? And I think that's going to be interesting because there's going to be there's going to be a push to do things. And uh, I'll uh, I'll run you through that right now. Yeah, so what are they going to do in the Ohio X Tech Policy Summit coming up on the 29th? I think there's probably going to be talk about um, IP, how they either will sort of try to unify license agreements. I mean, this is just, it's just the, ugh. I don't know, it's, it's not something I get excited about. It's sort of like, you know, today, State of Ohio has put together a $38 million fund to show an alternate way to eat mac and cheese. Sam, can you please come up? Thanks, everybody. Here on the slide deck, we've done a comprehensive study here in the State of Ohio and reviewed over 45,000 families that eat mac and cheese. As you can see in slide five, a lot of people use their right hand and use a spork, which is something we were on we just couldn't predict. And you can see they can eat a whole bowl of mac and cheese in just six minutes. The control group, on the other hand, did not have a spork. And they were not told anything about the mac and cheese in their bowl other than to tell them it was potentially sentient. And therefore a life form. As you can see in this group, these people did not eat the mac and cheese. And that brings us to a moment of pause. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's just uh, the formalities of what they're going to do. It's which it, it just, everyone just gets to the point faster, you know? So it's just, it's going to be, um, like I know some of the agenda. I know, I know some of the agenda is classic, which is like, let's, 
let's make t policy licensing agreements from every um, entity in the state. Let's make it easier. Make it easier for a, an entrepreneur to navigate those agreements and take technology and get it to market. I get that. Um, but then there's another piece of their agenda, which is to um, either make technologies in universities um, um, just infinitely licensable, you know, like, like there's no, there is no IP. Like you should be able to grab whatever you want from an academic institution and X, Y, Z or something. Um, I know that, I mean, I know that some of the different pieces that are in there, uh, cause I worked in commercialization. I saw the opposition, um, angle to what we're doing. Another big one is the sort of change the Bayh-Dole, um, act, which is, um, and I don't know the legal crap for this, but it, essentially it, it's about uh, who owns the intellectual property. Does the university own the intellectual property that it creates, or does um, the, the professor, does the person who's within the, uh, the institution, do they make it? Do they own it? And so one of, the, one of the thoughts here is that if the professor owns it, well then we don't have to deal with the university, we can just deal with the professor. And see, that's a, and see, and that kind of mentality is actually showing you exactly what their agenda is. Their agenda is less about, you know, thinking about what is equitably correct measure of what was put together here, right? It's not about that. It's about, uh, it's basically, to me, when I hear that statement, it is, I would like to find a way to, to bypass your process so I can reach deep into your family of people and essentially work just with this person and not with the larger institution. And I'll just license my, you know, I'll license tech or I'll just work with this person. I don't even need to work with you and all that kind of stuff. And you know what? That's a, <laughs> and what's crazy is, is that people, I don't know if the team at the state of Ohio that were thinking about this, I wish I was, I was really, wi I, maybe I should have pushed my way in there, but I don't know. It's a part of me that wants to be asked, you know, but, um, but no, I can ask. So I get to just sit back and not only make fun of them, but watch it never work, you know, and it's like, a, it's like a, it's like a cheap sport for me, you know, you know, honey, you want to go people watching? No, I'm just going to go watch commercialization fail in Ohio. All right, honey. I thought you've seen that. Yeah, I know. It's on season 48. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like. So the mentality of that is, um, and it's flawed for a couple reasons. One, it's going to force the universities to really um, nickel and dime their professors. Yes, you have a good idea for an enzyme-capable super system of X. However, I couldn't help but notice, Dr. So-and-so, you used our radion protocon, you know, transistor array. You know what I mean? You use XYZ facility to validate that. Isn't that correct? Yes, you did. Well, that validation then cost you $75,000, professor, and you work for us. You can pass it on to your, the cost on to your would-be investor friend who won't shell out anything for this technology, right? So it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's not collaborative. It's not the correct mindset. That's the thing I don't like about it. The other thing, too, is none of the VC actually come to the university to take anything out in the first place. 
there's never a VC in line to actually work with any actual technology at a university. That's the thing that's probably the most offensive to me. I mean, that's, again, that's, that's armchair quarterbacking of a, of a group that feels they have a sense of entitlement even though they don't do any actual work. You know what I mean? What work did you do? You know? I don't want to point any fingers at anyone, but let's point a finger at Drive. What did Drive do? Did Drive go to Ohio State and say, hey, let me look at your technologies and I'll see if we can help pulling them out? No, they didn't do that. Are they on the... They're probably on the endowment board at this point, right? Because it's a C-suite player thing and other things. But they're not going to do that. They don't have the time for that. They need the ecosystem to do that. Yeah, so there's some... there's some, there's some, Just like with Venture Ohio and, and Ohio X, there's another agenda somewhere in there. And it's, it's at the top now. And so if they can flip this Bayadola Act or whatever and... and, and um, um, if they can flip it and change the IP status from being with the entity that fostered the swell and fostered the, the, the very foundation of which you are standing upon that then it was able to be inspired and do the work and create the said IP, if they strip the university from that and it's just in the hands of the professor, it's a really bad precedent. And what it's going to do is actually going to create more situations with more people getting screwed over. Um, you know, I mean, if you think about it, that's that's exactly what a bully wants to do. I would like to avoid your process and direct and bully your people directly. It's much easier that way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you might say, God, that's not what it's all about, Dan. It's about innovation, getting ideas to market. You're all about that, Dan. It's true, I am, but I also understand the true value of Ohio State. Right. I understand the true value of the university. And it's so much more than just the IP. You know what I mean? It's you you should be thinking so much more and you're not. That's what that's what annoys me about Ohio is that people aren't thinking. You know what I mean? They're getting they're thinking they are using greed and they're using sort of like it's not even greed. There's a part of Ohio that is really bent out of shape on like I was due, or I'm entitled, or like this is the better way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, I don't know. There's so much more value in it. Like, I saw that. I thought that when I went to the university first, thinking about commercialization. No, it's just peaceful intellectual property. Of course, at that point, I had been done enough prototyping and working with enough startups to realize that it's not about the tech, it's about the people and so much more, right? But, man, I would do, I would just, I would change commercialization so much, man. I would just change it all. I would make it more fluid. I would make it much more radical. I would make it much more energetic. I would make it much more about hope and promise in the future. And I would actually go into those labs and when they had, you know, and they had Nike sitting outside wanting to give them $9 billion, right, to work on their next shoelace, you know what I mean? I would be the one that would say, look, guys, this is great and all. We need to turn this narrative around because we're not working on the next shoelace. What we need to do is get Nike to work on the future of shoes. 
In the future of shoes, it's the future of feet. And the future of feet is about moving. And moving is about feeling. And feeling is about empowerment of the soul. And I don't know about you, but if you think empowerment of the soul and just do it, they seem similar to me. Does Nike really want to spend $9 billion on a shoelace? Or do they want to spend $9 billion on where the future people are going? Because that's their customer, and they're going to wear something right from them. Like, the university could change that narrative. And, of course, universities are typically research centers. They're not, they're not usually in the position to sort of uh, always even change that narrative. But it's super critical. Super critical. Because universities should be working on warp drive. They should be working on teleportation. They should be working on the hardest problems and the fringest stuff. And they should be working on things that they can actually move into a proof of concept so they can tell everybody the story of awesome. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know a person online who doesn't know that crazy video of Elon Musk running out of his freaking you know, SpaceX bunker to run out into the front of the grass to watch his rockets come down and land. You know what I'm saying? Elon is out there looking into the sky and the sun there's a billion things that could go wrong, but they don't. And the rockets land. And you know what's crazy is? We think Elon did that. And he didn't. Elon didn't make those rockets land. What he did is he turned around, inspired 500 people to remember that they too were just like him and that they too had to believe in the future. He wasn't going to solve that problem. They were. There's a group of 500 people or less, probably less than that. There's probably a group of 66 people within SpaceX that have done amazing stuff, absolutely amazing stuff. And they do it because they have the inspiration and because they were driven to just go and do it. It wasn't about fighting for the lines of X and Y and Z. The message was different. It was better. That's what it needs to be.